We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ, oh my goodness, stunning with the left hand. All right, welcome into another Buzz Beat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This is Richie, and I just wanted to make sure you guys are subscribed to our podcast so that you guys get the episodes and notifications the minute they come out. We are recording this on a Tuesday evening, 24 hours actually, after the Charlotte Hornets have signed LaMelo Ball officially. We will be bringing on a guest who has watched LaMelo Ball's career closely from Lithuania to the JBA all the way through his most recent stint in Australia. Our guest today is Jacob Rude, editor of Lonzo Wire. Jacob, how's everything going with you? It's going great. It's uh, I still can't get over the fact that we're a couple days away from the start of training camp, but I enjoy it. I'm ready for more basketball. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy because as, as Hornets fans, I always say this is the longest offseason because the Hornets haven't played since March, where other people might say this is the quickest offseason uh, because the NBA Finals uh, leading into the, the next season is quick. But uh, for Hornets fans, they are they are ready for some basketball. Um, for our listeners, Jacob, can you tell us how you got hooked to the point to where you have dedicated a whole site as an <laughs> editor covering the ball family. Like what? Uh, before we kind of dig deeper on Lamelo, what is it about the ball family that interests you? I'll say the site existed. It's part of the USA Today Sports Network. It existed uh, maybe seven, eight, nine months before I got there. Um, when I was brought on. Um, I did not remotely realize how popular this family is. And I don't know if you guys, if Hornets fans have kind of realized it yet, you will because there will be a a big bump in notoriety. But something about this ball family, people can't turn away. Like at times it's maybe because it looks like a train wreck. Other times, uh, I mean, a lot of it's led by LeVar and just his – wild talking, but, uh, I joined, I came onto the site, uh, as the editor in August of 2018. Um, and we'll get into it, but I mean, even at the time Lonzo was about to start his, uh, second season, um, LaMelo was often playing in the JBA. LiAngelo was playing alongside him, and the, the site, even then, that might have been one of the, the lowest times to join. And the site, even then, was was doing really well. So um, I was shown a world or a side of the Internet that I didn't know existed. And this family is crazy popular. And uh, it's been an interesting ride to uh, to follow this family since then. Yeah, they definitely uh, attract a lot of media. And like you said, I'm sure we'll be gaining a lot of Hornets fans, quote unquote, just because of the the drafty Lamelo Ball here. So, like you mentioned, Jacob, you can find his work at LonzoWire.usa. 
www.lamellotoday.com. Uh, that's where you can find that website where they cover not just Lamello, they cover Lonzo, uh, LeVar, LeAngelo, just the whole family. The whole family can be mm-hmm. found on that website. So I know you said that you started kind of fully covering LaMelo more towards his uh, JBA days. But I do want to backtrack a little bit, and maybe you can tell our listeners, you know, a little bit about his time in Lithuania. I don't, I don't know how much you know about his time there, but clearly it was very short-lived. I don't know if many would people would consider it a successful stint. Uh, so two-part question here. Why did he leave Chino Hills? And then what happened in Lithuania, would you say, that made it so poorly? Or, or do you not think it was a poor uh, stint over in Lithuania? Oh, no, it was very poor. <laughs> um, so the him leaving, as will probably be a trend through all this, was a decision his father made. Um, there hasn't... Basically, he feuded with the coach at Chino Hills. It was a new coach. The previous coach was the one that let LaMelo just kind of stand at half court and score 92 points in a game. Um, This new coach came in, and he was going to do things a lot differently. Um, And from what it sounded like, I kind of followed Chino a little bit. A lot of it was he was going to make Melo play defense. (laughs) Like, LeVar has a very set type of way, which they also played at Spire, where they just press, they gamble. If it ends up with the other team scoring, so be it. But he thinks that you'll his his team will be able to outscore the uh, the other team, and that's all he focuses on. So this new coach was going to come in, institute a new system. Uh, they butted heads, and Lavar said, "Fine, I'm pulling." That was roughly around the time Leangelo was stealing things in China. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, which, yeah, again. uh, So he pulled him out, um, and they searched for a while and eventually settled on this team in Lithuania who, honestly, I don't think knew what they were getting themselves into. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They... they, uh, they bring in the ball family and it was a train wreck really from day one. The, the coach didn't speak any English. Um, so LaMelo and LiAngelo were totally lost in like uh, meetings and whatnot and practices, just stuff like that. There was like a assimilation factor that um, didn't really work. And LaMelo at the time was a 16 year old kid who had to stay in a hotel in Lithuania for like six months. So, I mean, like just from that standpoint, that would be tough to do alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a 16 year old kid playing. I mean, it was a legitimate professional league um, playing against full size adults. And he struggled with that physicality part. He basically didn't play. Um and like their league games, what it ultimately amounted to is LeVar would have big baller brands sponsor some quote unquote tournament yeah. where it was basically Lithuania's JV team against other random teams. And LaMelo would play in those and put up gaudy numbers and because they weren't really playing anybody. And then they'd come back to league play. And I think er, LaMelo only played eight games that season for them. Leangelo actually played pretty well for him, but uh, Lamelo never really got his footing there. I mean that that's a big jump to go from right. Chino Hills in high school against kids your age to playing in just a small European city um, against other professionals, and it it never really worked. It never really got off the ground, and shockingly, again at the end of the season. LeVar butted heads with the coach and it was a pretty messy divorce between the two and they both go their separate ways. And, um, the, the club has complained about a lot of the things LeVar did after the fact, but overall for LaMelo, it was, it wasn't a good experience. It was a mess. Um, honestly, I'm a little surprised at how well he did considering he basically lost an entire season 
to playing in Lithuania right. because it was it wasn't really productive for him. Okay, that that's what I gathered from reading up on his experience in Lithuania. I just want to make sure I was not wrong in that experience that it was uh, considered unsuccessful there. So, for our listeners here, obviously we're going to be jumping around back and forth because Lamelo jumped around back and forth. So yes. after Lithuania, guys, he came back to the states to uh, to play in two. One league and then obviously a prep school here. So this is kind of when you joined Lonzo Wire, you said, is when he started to play for the Junior Basketball Association. This was a league that was founded and created by LeVar. The funniest part about this league to me was that every team was called the Ballers. You had the L.A. (laughs) Ballers, the Atlanta Ballers, the Philadelphia Ballers, you know, what have you. It, to me, this league felt like a gimmick, uh, and I'm not sure much how, you know, how much he truly gained out of playing in this league, could be completely wrong. But after this league, he went on to play for Spire in what would have been his, I guess, senior year of high school. He was still allowed to play here in this prep school in Ohio, even though he gave up his amateur status having played over in Lithuania. So a couple of questions here. Back in the States, prior to going back to Australia overseas, can you tell us what his experience was like with the JBA and what his experience was like with Spire? And do you feel like because his Lithuania experience was so poor and he's getting closer and closer to becoming a NBA player that maybe he took things a little bit more seriously back back in the States? Or was it still like a developmental piece here for, uh, for LaMelo? So you're not wrong in that the um, JBA was... A gimmick? Well, yes, yeah. I was trying to yeah. think, yes, but yes, a gimmick, uh, more or less. It was created for LaMelo and LiAngelo to have a place to play. Right. Um, even at the time, there were all sorts of issues. Players weren't getting paid. Um, huh. I mean, looking back, we've written a bit about it. <laughs> it's one of the, the, the low points for LeVar because he had a whole lot of kids uh, give up their college eligibility to go play professionally for this league that lasted one season because uh as as i'll get to lamello left the league and once lamello left lavar didn't have any interest in keeping it going um and the stat i mean it's really hard to find the stats now uh, but the stats lamello was putting up and that those games were silly he was playing against kids who were significantly worse than huh. him um he was averaging like a triple double with like 35 points a game. And like, he was shooting an absurd amount of times and they stacked the team so that LaMelo's team had all the best players. LaMelo and LiAngelo played together and they were the two best players. Um, it really, I don't even want to say it was like an AAU tournament because it was like a bunch of high schoolers playing like middle school teams and LaMelo was like this standout kid. The only time it really was kind of interesting with the JBA is after their season ends, shockingly, uh, LaMelo's team wins. Um, They form like this JBA select team, which was basically like an all-star team. And they had set up a tour in Europe that lasted for like four or five months. It was supposed to go all over the place and hilariously was going to end up in China. Um, they, LiAngelo was going to go back to China. I don't know how that, how well that would have went, but um, they played some, they played professional teams in Europe, but it was a lot of second division teams, JV teams. Um, like I think they played CSK Moscow's JV team in Russia Um, and there were some close games there. They lost a couple games. That was the first time in a while that LaMelo had was tested a bit in some of these games. Um, that was also probably the first time that I started to realize that he's actually pretty good. Um, because that was really the first time he's going up against people who were kind of his peers or at least as good as him. Um, but ultimately, some at some point during that tour, um, I believe around October of 2019, he basically went to his dad and said, "I don't want to do this. I want to go play high school again. I have one, I have one more year, like you said. I have my senior year. 
I want to go back. Um, so they started looking for places and it, I, there weren't really many names that were thrown out that they looked, they end up landing at Spire, which is in a suburb of Cleveland. Um, and he goes there and really it was one of the best things to ever happen to him. Um, first the coach Jermaine Jackson is now his basically LaMelo's manager and one of the, the best people around him. Um, that being said, at like their introductory press conference, he said he was saying just some outlandish things and had me worried that it was a LeVar ball 2.0. Um, ultimately it has not ended up being that, but he comes back to Spire there weren't really any issues with him being eligible um, because it was a prep school, a private school, basically the issues. There was a lot of other teams who were also prep schools who were suddenly trying to take some type of moral high ground um, and saying, well, we're not going to play against them. They were supposed to play like Oak Hill, um, IMG, just a lot of your top, kind of other prep academies, and they all pulled out. So really, LaMelo didn't play. There's only a couple of really good teams they played against. That was a really good Spire team, though. Um, they had one kid, his name was Rocket Watts, who plays for Michigan State, is their, one of their starting guards. And they had another kid, Isaiah Jackson, who plays at Kentucky and will probably be a first-round pick next year. Um, so he had he had a lot of talent on that team, and as I said, if if uh, if that JBA select team is when I started to realize that he might actually be like pretty good, um, it was with Spire at the time I was running the website with a, a, another person, and it was at Spire that he and I started talking. Like you know, he's actually going to be a an NBA prospect. At that point, it was still kind of a we still were a little uncertain because that was the first time he had come back onto a more traditional scene. And at the time that's when draft express started uh, really scouting him. They had watched him a couple times in Lithuania and whatnot, but he appeared back on their mock draft. Um, so stuff like that, he, he started getting his name back out there. Um, but again, that was, they played a system where, they just pressed and ran ran a whole lot. Uh, but even then, you could see LaMelo, I think easily his best skill set is his passing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you could see even then that he was a terrific passer. Um, still had the occasional half-court three-pointer. <laughs> um, still not always the best shots. They, were, they blew out a lot of teams, so he realized he could – take a bunch of those ill-advised three-pointers and it really wasn't going to hurt them. But I think they ended up finishing second nationally in, um, in their tournament. But that, again, didn't include any of your Oak Hills, your IMGs, your mm-hmm. La Lumiere and uh, where Jaron Jackson Jr. went, places like that. But it, it was still a really a, a positive experience. And that was really when I started to realize that this was actually he was actually a legit NBA prospect. Yeah, everything that I gathered from his playing days up until Spire, it felt like it wasn't until Spire that he started to take things a little bit more seriously, just from the outside looking in. And right before he headed to Australia, we know that he's getting closer and closer to the NBA. Um, before we get to Lamelo as a player. Uh, The last stop in his journey happened to be in Australia, and we will get to that after this break. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job. 
making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, so like I said, his last stop before being drafted by the Charlotte Hornets was in the NBL in Australia. Uh, knowing what he had to go through, his journey of bouncing back and forth between the United States and overseas, uh, leading up to his dream of playing in the NBA, uh, I want your take on how this whole experience of playing in prep schools and playing overseas, playing in amateur leagues and professional leagues, how did that shape LaMelo and how much of a benefit um, did that have in his journey? Yeah, it's an odd one. Um I think what it shows more than anything is how kind of internally driven he is. And maybe he had to become that way because he was bouncing around so much. Um, There was a lot of stuff coming into the draft about him, his kind of personality or whether he was really going to work. I'm not really sure where a lot of that came from because even back in the back with Spire and whatnot, he wasn't really kind of a a person like that. He's always been someone that'll be in the gym that's working. Um, It's just he he just keeps everything kind of real close to the vest, which, again, probably a byproduct of just jumping around so much, not really having a a team to land with. Um, it's honestly, again, really surprising how, how good of a prospect he turned out to be because of just the situations he was put in. Um, but again, it shows he is someone that will put in the work um, because he's basically had to do it himself in a lot of these stops. Um, he wasn't really gaining anything in the JBA. Um, it really wasn't, like I said, until they started going overseas that – I think he kind of had a mentality change and he realized maybe what it would take a little bit um, to compete against a lot of these people. Um, but even then, he was a 17-year-old kid. He might have been 18 at the time, uh, competing against um, adults, even if they were B teams and whatnot. It was right around then, I think, that he had his mentality change um, because when he came to Spire – he didn't look much like the kid that was at Chino Hills two years earlier. Um, I, I joked about the half-court shots. There was only one I can remember, and which, I mean, to some people, one too many. But but uh, he, he – a lot of that kind of ill-advised stuff wasn't there as much. Um, he was crossing half-court on defense, which was a, a positive. Um and just things like that, which uh, it seemed around then, I, that kind of coincided with him having more NBA drafts buzz. And it also is when Jermaine Jackson came into the fold. And I think he instilled in him some maturity that he needed, um, made him realize the opportunity he has. Jermaine Jackson is a, a former NBA player. Um, he was a coach, as I said. He ended up leaving Spire after that one season, which I think largely unrelated to Lomelo. Spire, I think they went bankrupt, and they had to sell kind of their uh, 
facility, but I don't, I mean, I'm pretty sure that didn't have anything to do with LaMelo, but even if it did, I mean, that one season, um, he was playing with talented people against talented people, but yeah, it was right around then him coming back to Spire that things seemed to really shift for him. Um, he became a more mature player. Um, he, a smarter player, a lot of those silly shots and silly decisions weren't as prevalent anymore. And I think I've said it a couple times, but I think Jermaine Jackson had a lot to do with that and kind of helping him realize that he had a real opportunity to be an NBA player and help him realize how big of an opportunity opportunity he had basically. Yeah, so let, let's transition from his background to his story to him as a player. Uh, we saw in his 12 games that he played in Australia some extremely positive and promising signs that Melo is going to turn out to be this very talented player on the NBA level. Uh, he set a record in becoming the youngest player in league history in Australia to record a triple-double. But we also saw some worrying signs that gave many, myself included, some pause. I actually wanted to start with the question marks first before we shift over to his strengths. So the first question mark that I have, and mm-hmm. I, hopefully it's a, a valid concern, what do you make of his shooting form? And do you think that he can be a successful shooter in the league despite having this odd, inconsistent-looking form? And as we know, he only shot 25% in Australia. And he did that changing his shot a couple times. I don't know if that's yeah. better or worse for his long-term projection. He was... He was trying. It started at the start of the year was more of a jumper and toward the end of the year was more of a set shot. Yeah. Um, It's, I don't think his jumper needs a a big overhaul. There was a stretch in the middle of his season where he shot the ball decently. It's just that came in the – he ended the season shooting one of 11 from three and started the season shooting like two of like 20 or something. So I, you could easily say that like, it was like a six game stretch, I think where he was about a 37% shooter. You could easily say that was the anomaly in that. Um, Like I said, I don't think it'll take a big overhaul, um, but it is going to need some tweaking it starts it starts out really low especially if he has a set shot which judging by the little bit of video of him it seems like he's went back to something more that he started the year with just a more natural jump shot um i will say he he'll put in the work to get it right basically if they can figure out what's wrong and how to fix it um he has i mean we saw I don't know how much Hornets fans paid attention to the Pelicans and Lonzo last season, but it, it was somewhat similar in that Lonzo had just a real subtle change, moved his shot over a couple inches, and Lonzo put in the work, and um, he was a 38% three-point shooter last year. Lamelo has the exact same type of work ethic. Um, he lives in the gym, basically, so if if they can figure out kind of how to make a couple small changes. Um, I I have confidence that he'll get it right. But that being said, as you mentioned, there isn't a lot of optimism to pull from his numbers in the NBL because he just never really got into a flow shooting the ball. And really they weren't, they weren't bad shots that he was taking. He was, they were a lot of times in the flow of the offense. They weren't, pull-ups from Steph Curry range. Um, There were maybe a couple of ill-advised ones, but largely speaking, um, they were within the offense, and he just could never get it right. Um, The the only other argument you can make is he had so much to do with that offense for Illawarra that maybe he just couldn't focus on his shot. I'm not sure. I think long term he'll probably be all right, but it just it also really depends how much the uh, coaching staff is able to do with such a short 
off season basically. If they were if this was a normal off season where they got him in into the gym in early July and he had all the way until November to fix it, I would have a lot more confidence in this season. Um, it still might be pretty funky this season and may and probably long term he'll be able to get it right, but I'm a little less worried about it long term just because I think he'll be able to or he'll be willing to put the work in to fix it. That's a good point. Yeah, with this offseason being so short and the way that it is uh, in terms of transforming that shot form, uh, it probably is not going to happen immediately. Uh, he can be a passable shooter with that form, but I, I do agree with you in terms of maybe making some tweaks here and there. And you do mention that maybe some of his shots were ill-advised or not ill-advised, but I think over the course of his career, I think that's one thing that you can kind of point to with LaMelo Maybe he gets too confident, or maybe it's just the, the competition that he's playing sometimes. He, that can get him into some trouble, right? Taking shots five seconds into the shot clock or taking a shot, you know, 40-plus feet from the basket. Do you worry that his confidence will be too high and he'll start taking these crazy shots? Or do you feel like being in an NBA level on a coaching staff, James Borrego is going to be able to reel that in and kind of get him under control? I think it'll ultimately be a little of both. I would not be surprised if we see some heat check Lamelo threes after he's made like two where he pulls up from Steph Curry range. Um, but largely, as you kind of mentioned, I think a lot of those shots in the past he did because he realized he could do it against weaker teams. Um, obviously at Chino Hills, he was the – arrogant little 15, 16 year old that was beating teams by 40 and he could do that. And really in the JBA too, he would, he could just shoot at will. Um, like I said, at Spire, there were a couple moments, Jermaine Jackson was able to get him reeled in a bit. And really there weren't hardly any of those moments, at least the launching long shots um, aspect in the NBL. And that was with a first year coach that he had never really met before. Um, and a coach that lasted one year. He wasn't a particularly good coach, but I think it showed that he'll respect the coaches and kind of respect the competition. Um, you'll, you'll probably still get some short shot clock or quick shots in the shot clock, um, but that I think probably is just more to do with any 19-year-old guard. Um, that will probably do that. And you'll get those moments of poor shot selection. Um, I'm That part I, I think I worry about the least because that has slowly went away and was largely non-existent, the long three-pointers um, last season in the NBL. Um, but... I think it's just I mean, like a, I, I think it's just the stigma that people think about. Yeah, when, when that's they think what I was going to say. Yeah. I, I can understand why people worry about that because when LaMelo was first coming into the national kind of audience, it's because he was hoisting half court threes. Right. I want to go to one more question mark uh, before we transition over to some of the positives and the highlights of LaMelo ball. Um, do you feel uh, in your mind that he is ready to play as a, as a finisher next season on the NBA level uh, or does he need more bulk in his frame to be a better finisher the good news is that Charlotte Hornets signed uh, a player, Gordon Hayward, that can finish at the rim and can take the ball out of LaMelo Ball's hands uh, a little bit more frequently where he's not having to have this high usage and get to the rim as often. As costly as Hayward is, that, that is a benefit, and those two, I feel like, will be able to play off of each other. So my question to you is, is that a valid concern that he may not be the finisher that you want him to be on the NBA level? No, that one's absolutely a fair question, Mark. He, uh, in the NBL, I was actually a little surprised at, at how well at times he finished at the rim because I had a lot of the same question marks. Um, and he's a, I guess probably crafty is the best way to, to mm -hmm. describe it, a crafty finisher. He'll do the finger rolls and some of the reverse layups to try to avoid a lot of the contact but he'll absolutely need to get stronger. He's still a, a pretty he, – he had a pretty big growth spurt in the last probably year and a half or so. So he, he, he hasn't really been able to put on the mass, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so he'll absolutely need to do that to be able to 
um, finish at the rim and whatnot. Um, he's a lot more, again, I'll, I'll compare him to, to Lonzo. Um, Lonzo basically just shies away from even trying to finish at the rim. Lamelo will attempt to do it. Um, at times he, he might make it harder than it needs to be, but I do think another that's an aspect of basically just getting reps and games to figure out how to do it. Um, but the big thing is he's going to have to put on weight and put on some mass because he struggled at times going into bodies in the NBL um, and trying to finish through those. It, there were some moments where he, he was decent, but um, that was against NBL guys, and the NBA guys are a pretty massive step up. I mean, he was – he was doing that against an Andrew Bogut that retired this year. Um, so it's going to be a pretty big step up. The one kind of caveat to that is it's a very oddly specific part of his game, but he has an incredible floater. Um, he That's kind of been the way he's avoided getting to the rim. And it's a floater he'll shoot from like the free throw line yeah. out. Um it's just a really – you look at it and, I mean, I promise Hornets fans will will probably freak out the first couple of times he'll shoot it, but it's an oddly accurate shot. Like, he's really good with it. Um, he'll come off a screen, take a dribble or two, and just kind of throw up this high-arcing floater, and he'll make a lot of them. Um, I actually wrote a, a couple articles about it because it was – such an odd aspect to his game that he really didn't show until he got to the NBL. That's kind of been the way he's avoided um, getting to the rim at times. Um, but yeah, as, as you said, that that is a very fair kind of critique right now. He's going to need to get in the gym. He's going to need to um, figure out how to finish through defenders or and whatnot, because right now that's probably going to be an area he struggles a lot with. All right, let's transition to the good side of LaMelo, the promising aspects. James Borrego has said this plenty of times with the Charlotte Hornets, and obviously a lot depends on personnel, a lot depends on getting stops, but he wants to push the pace more often. And by drafting a player in LaMelo Ball, you are able to do that. Um, His biggest strength in my eyes is not only his half-court passing and his vision, um, and he can see things that others can't, is his hit-ahead passing. So he can start transition plays right away, even after made baskets. And I think that's going to benefit the Hornets in trying to achieve the faster pace of play because they were last in the NBA last season. What do you view as the biggest strength of LaMelo that will translate right away to the next level? Easily his passing. I think he'll come in and be a top probably 20 passer in the NBA. Like I, I earnestly think he's going to be that good. Um, he makes reads that a lot of NBA guards couldn't make. Um, and it happened at least once a game um, with the NBL. The problem, or with Illawar, I should say, the problem last season, the Hawks were really bad. The Illawar Hawks, they were really bad. And, they weren't run well. They were basically like the Knicks or the Kings of the NBL. And they actually had Aaron Brooks on the team, uh, another former NBA player. And when those two were together, they were really, really pretty good, LaMelo and Aaron Brooks. Aaron Brooks tore his Achilles three or four games into the season. And the way the NBL works is um, – you're only allowed a certain amount of non-Australian or New Zealand players on the roster. So basically Aaron Brooks injury opened up a spot and Illawarra just never decided to really fill it. The league had to come in and be like, Hey, we have this star player on your team. Can you sign someone so that he can succeed? Because Illawarra was horrible after they left. And a lot of that was because LaMelo had to do all of the shot creation all of the the offense, it was a lot of pick and roll, high pick and roll, and he would um, draw the defense and every time would make the right read. But a lot of times that'd be a kick out to a three-point shooter that wasn't good, and they would miss the shot. I would love 
they didn't keep track of this. His like potential assist figures last season would probably be through the roof. Um, because he was, he would kick it out to open guys and they would just miss the three or there were multiple times. I don't know if, uh, if fans will remember the, the name Josh Boone, he used to play at UConn. Um, he was their big man last season for Illawarra. He was really bad for him. Uh, he was decent defensively, but he could not finish. And there were more than a couple times a game where Lamella would dump off to a big and they would miss. Um, so his assist numbers are a bit deceiving because of all that. Mm-hmm. He honestly c- could have averaged 10 assists a game last season. Um, he was just with the worst team in the league by far. Um, so I think he'll come in really from day one with NBA shooters around him, with NBA-level bigs that can roll to the rim, although I don't, I guess I don't know how many of the Hornets have right now of that, that aspect, but uh, just NBA-level shooting, if nothing else, just that spacing, um, I think he'll succeed in – um, it'll be interesting to see how much screen and roll he runs. Um, I know that from the little bit I've been trying to look up, I don't know how much screen and roll the Hornets ran last season. Um, well, Dev- but- Devon, Devontae Graham runs a ton of pick and roll. I mean, that that's a, okay. a huge part of his, um, offense. And then you got Cody Zeller, who's a really, really good screen setter. So maybe him and Cody can pair well together. Now, Cody's not going to be able to score off. I mean, he doesn't really look to score off the screen and roll. Uh, maybe he, him and PJ Washington would be a good pairing as well. But yeah, but can continue with what you were saying. Sorry. No, no. Yeah. I'm glad you jumped in because I've been trying to, to learn a lot about these Hornets players, but <laughs> it's been a, it's been a condensed schedule here, but yeah, I mean, if with Cody or with P.J. Washington, if he can get a big that will draw attention mm-hmm. and draw people away, he's going to make the right read. So I think from day one he'll step in and be a, an elite passer in the NBA, but also an elite decision maker in that regard. Um, he rarely makes the wrong decisions in those screen and rolls. He had an incredible assist-to-turnover ratio last year. Like, Yeah, we brought that up for, a lot on this pod, yep. Yeah, for as good – or I guess as kind of flashy as he makes plays sometimes, he just doesn't turn the ball over. He makes the right decisions. Um, So, and I think that again will translate because he just, he's just able to read defenses and manipulate defenses. Even Um, I, I was, or I'm working on a, a piece that just has a lot of the passes that didn't lead to assists for him. And, um, there's multiple times where he'll he'll dribble in a direction off a screen because he knows a certain defender will come that way and he can then he'll immediately kick out to the three-point shooter on the weak side and stuff like that. So he'll be able to create open looks right away coming into the Hornets offense. Agreed, agreed. So in, in one of your most recent articles, I think it's actually pinned to your Twitter page, you include a quote from Borrego, and it was actually a response to one of the questions that I had about LaMelo's fit next to Devontae. I personally feel that Devontae is suited to play off ball uh, on offense, but maybe a little bit concerned about how LaMelo will adjust to an off-ball role. And I, I think those are interchangeable players. You can play Devontae on ball, LaMelo on ball, and, and alternate. Borrego did mention in his response that, quote, I expect him, meaning LaMelo, to cut on the weak side, he's going to come off pin downs and handoffs. He's not just going to be standing in the corner waiting for someone to pass in the ball. Our style of play a lot last year as we head in to the next year is very positionless. I like him off the ball. He's going to receive pin down screens, DHOs. He's going to be cutting on the weak side, end quote. So my question to you is, how do you feel that LaMelo will adjust to playing off ball? I don't deny that Borrego is going to put all of his efforts in trying to work LaMelo into the system. Uh, but do you see anything concerning about LaMelo playing without the ball in his hands? It'll take some time. Um, I think a large part of it will depend on how well he can shoot. Um, because if he's not able to spot up and hit threes, um, 
defenses aren't going to respect him as an off-ball player. Um, but it'll also take time because he just didn't really get much of a chance to do that with Illawarra or really at any level. I mean, when he was with Spire, he played with another point guard, Rocket Watts, who I mentioned, but that really wasn't an organized system. Um, and when he started at Illawarra, he had Aaron Brooks with him, but as I said, that lasted only like three games. Um, those three games, I mean, Aaron Brooks had the ball a lot. Um, that was the first time that Lamelo would be on the court, and up until that point in his career, I should say, he didn't have the ball all the time. There were mixed results. Um, again, it largely largely struggled because he couldn't hit threes, especially early in the season. But I think this is somewhere where his high IQ will help him again. Mm-hmm. Um, because he knows the right play to make. Um, I think it'll be a lot of just learning if if he's coming off pin downs, learning how to come off screens and what those reads will be. Um He'll cut off the ball. Again, it didn't happen a lot. He's smart in that regard. Um, So I could see him getting baskets there, things like that. But um, that one is definitely going to be something he'll have to learn just because really since he played with Lonzo at Chino Hills was the last, like, extended amount of time that he would play on the court and he wouldn't be the one with the ball all the Mm -hmm. time. And that was – in 2016, uh, five, four or five years ago. So um, I could see it working, and it has at times, but it's going to be a bit of a learning curve because he just doesn't do it much. Right. All right, final question for you. So with the Charlotte Hornets, it's the start of year three with head coach James Borrego. Uh, the team has gone through some changes, a lot of changes, I should say, uh, post Kimball Walker. Very young group. However, uh, there are some vets on this team with Zeller and Biz and and Gordon Hayward more recently. I will say this. uh, As much as the Hornets have not been winning uh, or making it into the playoffs, I think they have done a great job of building up this chemistry among these young players and the culture, despite the lack of winning, like I said. But do you believe LaMelo is somebody that can come into a system from day one and buy into this culture? Because I, I don't know if there's concerns about that, about culture building with LaMelo, but do you have any concerns with that in terms of just coming into a system and, and buying in? No, not at all. Um, that's what he did last season with a first-year coach um, in the NBL. Matt Flynn was his name. He was a former NBL player, first-year coach, a really young coach, um, so kind of similar in that regard. And he came in right away and from the very first day of training camp in Australia, uh, Flynn was raving about uh, LaMelo basically. So um, I don't have any concerns there. I, I think he'll buy into whatever the coach is doing. It's really a, it's, it's an interesting kind of dichotomy basically because um with LeVar, you hear, we're going to do it my way or the highway. This is how we're going to do it and all that. And neither of his sons are like that, Lonzo or LaMelo. Um, just from a personality standpoint, those two could not be any more different than LeVar, um, which kind of forces them to break out, it, break away from him, basically. Um, but, yeah, I with LaMelo – I fully expect him to buy into this system from day one. Um, I don't see – he's never been the type of person to push back. Um, He's always basically been the type to to learn the system and and figure things out. And, I mean, there were multiple times last season as he's learning that he was um, in the gym either with Matt Flynn or with Jermaine Jackson – just trying to figure things out and um, figure out where to improve and whatnot. And he's open to taking um, advice. Basically there there's more than a couple stories Matt Flynn told about him giving LaMelo advice and LaMelo 
taking it and using it in the game. Um, there was a funny story. Matt Flynn won a game before, uh, before the game goes up to him and tells him, you know, I can't remember who they were playing, but that player that's guarding you today, um, he really struggles against uh, or defending. So I want you to go at him. I don't think he can stick with you at all. And LaMelo chimed back, nobody can stick with me. Um, just as kind of a, a funny joke, but he'll say that. That's not really the type of player he is, but um, he, he'll buy into any system, and especially one that has been established like Borrego's has been for a couple years. Um, he'll ask the questions. He'll he'll learn how to do things, and and I think it's a – I think it's a really great fit from what I've been able to gather so far. I know the the Hornets place an emphasis on passing the ball, and that's Lamelo's just going to add to that this season. And um, I'm really excited. I think it'll be a fun place for him to play. Yeah, I think to your point, the 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 concerns about culture building and, and fitting into a culture probably stem from Lavar, and that's good to hear that his personality. And, and, and you kind of see it. His personality is very unlike his dad, and, and he separates yeah. himself from this. That That's very good to hear because I think that is a concern, but it's probably a misconception more focused on LeVar. Well, we wanted to thank Jacob for joining us today and shedding a ton of light on LaMelo's journey up to this point. I know a lot of Hornets fans, like you mentioned, are very enthused about Melo. And after hearing you and your rundown of him, I'm sure they are even more excited to watch him play. Jacob, firstly, thanks for joining us. And then secondly, go ahead and plug your Twitter and anything that you are working on right now. Yeah, my Twitter, it's real simple. It's just at Jacob Rude. Um, and like you said at the beginning, if you just want to follow us at Lonzo Wire, I'm, we cover Lonzo, we cover LaMelo, LaVar. Technically, we cover LiAngelo, but he doesn't really do a whole lot now. Um, but yeah, we, we cover the... I'll cover the Hornets as well throughout the season. Um, so, yeah, if you guys are looking for for any uh, coverage of, of the Ball family or the Hornets or Pelicans uh, at Lonzo Wire. All right, very good. Thanks again, guys, for joining us for another Buzz Beat, and we will see you guys next time.